Welcome to the Gateways Beyond Cyprus podcast, featuring weekly teaching from our Discipleship Training School. For more information, please visit us online at gbcy.org. A new commandment, mitzvah chadashah, I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. So you see that we're moving out in concentric circles. We start, the heart of everything is loving God. That's If I get that right, then it says there's a second commandment like it, and if I love God, He's going to help me love myself. So, Second circle, love myself. Third circle, love one another. Love somebody else that's next to me. Okay? By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So what I get from that is Yeshua is saying, people will see my likeness in you if you're loving one another. Now, that's not always easy, is it? Have you ever met somebody that was hard to love? Yeah. You know, when people judge me, misjudge me, betray me, put me down, ignore me, you know, the list could go on, right? I don't, in my natural person, love them. There's, right now, there's a bit of I'm looking for good words to use. Disagreement. There's some disagreement among leaders, Messianic leaders in Israel, over certain aspects of, uh, of biblical teaching. And there are people who have said publicly that what I and some of my colleagues, my longtime partners, Asher Intrader, Dan Juster, and by application, Papa Rudolph, Paul Wilbur, that what we, Don Finto, that what we written about and taught about and speak about um, is not, it's not healthy, it's not proper teaching. Well, that's a major accusation that, that really hurts. So I am confessing to you that I have struggled, still am struggling, with this command because this command includes those guys. Whatever they say, they're brothers in Messiah. So I don't have the option of not loving them. I might not like them. I might not like what they're saying and writing but I am commanded to love them. Do you realize how much of a that's creating, you know, inside of me? Because the moment that I read something, the moment that I think about, you know, these kinds of um, awkward processes of examining what we believe, not comfortable, not fun, seems to me unnecessary, but I'm thinking, okay, God, I don't know how to do this. My flesh is not enjoying this, but you have commanded me, and therefore, 
I know that in you I have the capacity. You're the one who said from the cross, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. You are the one who taught, love your enemies. And uh, these fellows aren't exactly enemies. They're, they're just, they're, you know, what should I say? Kind of theological opponents, <laughs> okay? That's not an enemy. An enemy is somebody that's really trying to stop the good news from being, uh, from being proclaimed in, in Israel or anywhere else. So, love one another. And then he says something similar to emphasize it in chapter 15. Again, these chapters are incredibly rich. When I, when I, look, at my, when I look at my Bible, you know, I'm, I'm looking at all the stuff <laughs> that I've marked up, you know, because every time I come back to this, I just, I flip out. I go, oh my gosh, this is so, this is it. This is like, wow, you know, God, you know, ask anything in my name. Yeshua wants me to have fullness of joy. I'm just going to just, oh, wow. Yeshua has joy in me. It's like, you know, I'm just, like I'm getting totally blown away. There's almost no room anymore. So chapter 15, 12, 13 says the same thing. Now, let's, I'm going to back up a little bit because here's our empowerment. As the Father loved me, this is verse 9, John 15, verse 9. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide, remain, hang out in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments. Ooh, you could do a study in the Bible about the just as just like. This is already like we came into that in Matthew 22 where he's saying, and another one is like it. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. So that means the way that Yeshua kept His Father's commandments and abided in His love, so I am being enabled by the Messiah to do the same. Sorry, guys. that, (laughs) That just, that blows me out of the water. I don't get that. How? Really? I could do that. I, you know, you, well, you said that that's what I can do. Verse 11, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. Oh, God is so talking to me. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Well, made a, Yeshua, didn't you remember that you just said it kind of like two chapters earlier? What's it? You you don't have anything new to tell us? No, I'm, I'm telling you because I really want you to get it. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. That's, that's going to be a, a theme in our section on friends. But this is the nature of love. Love, true love, true love. <laughs> Marriage. <laughs> a dweem within a dweem. I'm sorry. I can't help it. Love that movie. <clears throat> True love is sacrificial. If we're trying to understand what is love, which has driven people batty for, you know, like ever since we were created. What, what, what do you mean? What is this? What does that mean, love? 
is to give up your life. <clears throat> I think it's in First John, which is such an awesome book about love. Herein is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and gave up His Son to give us life. I'm paraphrasing. Probably be nice for you to have that reference. Let's find it here. First John chapter four, verse ten. Well, actually, since since this is the this is what we're talking about, I'll go back to verse seven because it really is uh, so much uh, the message of John, the youngest disciple, the one that that laid his head on Yeshua's chest. Incredible image of actually hearing the heartbeat of God. So to me, I, that's just one of the most eloquent, vivid images in a physical human sense <clears throat> to, to help me understand what, what does it mean? What does it mean to be to be close to Yeshua, what does it mean to you know to walk in, in, in this way and in his light? It's to it's to put my head next to his heart to hear his heartbeat. And John reflected that heartbeat by speaking about love for God, love for each other. First <clears throat> John four seven, beloved. Love that word, Ahuvai, those who are loved. Let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Stop. Major statement, earthquake time. In our, in our understanding, God is many things, but this is one of the most direct statements, definitions, declarations in the whole book. God is love. May we be healed, any of us, myself included, of any image of God that doesn't include this centrality of God being love, thinking that we have to work hard to please Him, thinking that we are disappointing to Him because we're not trying hard enough, thinking of Him as more of a task master, heavy-duty disciplinarian, uh, rule, rule giver, rule keeper. Not to say that he doesn't have standards. He does have standards. But there is, there is something so essential here because it's a relationship. Because it's not just about what we believe. It is about what we believe. But it's also about how we relate and how we know God relationally. I'm sure that you've all already heard this, that the original use in Hebrew 
in Genesis of the word know is spoken of Adam and Eve's uh, intimacy with each other, sexual intimacy. So it says Adam knew Eve. It means that they were united as husband and wife. So to know God is not just to know about God. It's not just to be able to rehearse biblical ideas or principles as important as those are, but it's to know him in an intimate union way that is, that is a spiritual, spiritual loving by being, being one, being together. The Messiah shed his blood in order to remove any separation between us and intimacy with the creator of the universe. Ah, you know, wow. Thank you, Lord. Help us grasp it and enjoy it and reflect it. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. Sure is a lot about dependence in the Bible. I think, I think God is kind of anti-independent. It's interesting. A lot of our training, you know, is that we would be self-sufficient. I mean, and, you know, there is something that I am responsible for myself, and I shouldn't expect anybody else to take responsibility for me. You know, but, you know, through him, in him, all these kind of phrases have to do with I'm not self-sufficient. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation. Uh, it's kind of a fancy word for atonement or payment, exchange for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, I, I kind of want to add the word but. It's kind of like, you know, however. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. How, how can he use such extreme words? It's like the word perfect, it's like, no, I, God, don't you, don't you know me? Aren't you aware of my like massive imperfections? But he says, no, I, I, I can deal with that. As long as you acknowledge that that's where you're coming from, that means that I can, I can go ahead with my work of perfecting you. You are being perfected. Don't fight it. Um, there's also, in addition to loving God, loving self, loving others, there's the, the matter of, of loving our enemies. Uh, Matthew 5, 43, love your enemies. Um, Yeshua has this radical... Radical Torah. I see the Sermon on the Mount as the as the Torah of of uh, Yeshua. It's where he takes he takes the the Torah of Moses and intensifies it. He doesn't invalidate it. In fact, it says in five seventeen of Matthew that he didn't come to destroy but to fulfill uh, the Torah. Torah is the word that means the five books of Moses, Genesis through Deuteronomy. But rather, he intensifies what God's original requirements were. 
In 543, we read, You have heard it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Not even the tax collectors. Do, do not even the tax collectors do the same. All right. <laughs> so I already talked about, you know, my brothers in Israel not being enemies, but, but you know, theological opponents. So, you know, how much more? You know, when Yeshua is saying love your enemies, he's saying more like the anti-missionary. That's the name of the ultra-Orthodox people that, that try to, uh, you know, try to invalidate uh, the testimony of Yeshua in Israel, in Hebrew, as Jewish believers. Uh, it's their mission in life to come against us. Um, they publish a whole magazine. They just... I guess they're sending it to all the Jewish believers in Israel that they can get their address. I, one just came to my house the other day, and, uh, you know, my dear wife, she said, oh, get that away. She said, I haven't even read it, and I just have a bad feeling about it because it's all just, it's calling us liars, and it's, and it's saying that we're twisting uh, the, the Scriptures to, you know, to present Yeshua as the Messiah, uh, you know, discrediting the, the Lord Himself. Um, those guys, and they have and they have been responsible. Some of them for, for, uh, well, for firebombing our our facility. Two years after our congregation started, October of '97, in the middle of the night, there was a, a fire that was it totally destroyed our little office. We were still a new congregation. We built this nice counter. We had a Xerox machine, a few little files. It was just sort of a very primitive beginning of an office. The Xerox machine looked like toasted cheese, melted cheese, you know. It was just like, you know, that was like our most expensive piece of equipment. We, we, we treasured it. We could make copies of things, you know. It was a big deal. Toasted cheese. And, uh, and it was, it was ultra-Orthodox uh, ze- zealots. You know, when you read in, in, in the Gospels and in the book of Acts, about these these zealous guys who were Pharisees, Sadducees, all of them, that they were just breathing down on the, on the believers. Later, Paul himself, Shaul, you know, he's breathing down threats on the believers. It says in the book of Acts, he's rounding people up, putting them in jail. Goes all the way up to Damascus. I mean, that's a long, even even today, that's a pretty that's a pretty big trip. Of course, I can't get into Syria with an Israeli passport, and I wouldn't even want to with an American passport. But, you know, in those days, Damascus, Damascus Paul was going all the way up there to, to, to take, to grab the Messianic Jews in, in the diaspora outside of Israel. Zealous. So these guys of the same spirit in, in uh, 1997, and God, I knew that we were to pray for them. So the next morning, with tears because of, of what they'd done to our facility, I just said, people, let's, let's pray. I had a small 
cluster of members of the congregation had come to clean things up. They started hearing about the fire. And that fire was a turning point in our history for good. As a result of that firebombing, God gave us. We were in this narrow warehouse, didn't have enough room for classes for the kids. It was freezing in the winter, boiling in the summer. We'd already outgrown it. We had about 70 people. We started with 30. We doubled uh, a little bit more than doubled. And we were already looking for another facility. As a result of that firebombing, people began praying for us around the world, sending unsolicited donations. We wound up moving into a brand new warehouse building, huge new facility, just like less than 100 meters, 75 meters from where that warehouse was burned. And we now own that building. And that's where we have our humanitarian aid and just amazing, amazing stuff that God did as a result of the firebombing. So when you pray for those that persecute you, good things happen. Um, Praying for the lost. You know, Yeshua tells parables in Luke 15, right, about a lost coin, about a lost sheep, and then about a lost son. And I I love it that in another place in Luke, uh, Yeshua says that, The Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. And then toward the end of the Gospel of John, I think it's 2120 or 2021, he says, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. So I put that Luke quote. I'll look it up so you have it accurately. Uh, It's... Uh, must be 19, I get 19.10 and 10.19 are both cool scriptures. Yeah, it's uh, 19.10, Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. God so loved the world, we all know that verse, that he sent his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him would have eternal life and not perish. So God's love for the lost needs to, I need to adopt God's love for the lost. So instead of judging the poor, I'll use a Yiddish word, schnooks. Schnook is kind of like a eh, person that you wouldn't look at as being so valuable, kind of off to the side, maybe a homeless. Those, Dafka, ironically, are the people upon whom God puts his attention. Remember the, the, the story? It's, it's pro- it probably was a real, a real event because it doesn't exactly say. It, it, it treats the story as if, as if the man was really there. It's also in Luke. Luke, has, Luke is the greatest gospel about compassion. It's just incredible what he, what he has. I don't remember the chapter now, but he, he, he draws the contrast between uh, the guy that the, the dogs are licking his sores uh, and then, um, and then he says, "There's a, you know, there's another guy that, uh, you know, that was rich and he had, you know, all this good stuff." And um, uh, let's see, is this it? This is a similar. No, this is something similar. It's talking about laying up your treasure in heaven, but it's not the the comparison one. Anyway, so there's this guy and the and the. 
the dogs are licking his sores, and then he's, there's a rich guy that maybe, you know, throws him a few crumbs. And um, here it is. I found it. Luke 16, uh, 16 from verse 19. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores, so it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried, and being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off in Lazarus in his bosom. So it goes on. But my point is, who would be attracted to the guy with sores, you know, and the dogs are, are licking his sores? He's not even strong enough to, you know, to, to shoo the dogs away from him. So <clears throat> through Luke, God is, is saying something about his love for the unlovely, all right? Yeshua healed lepers. You weren't even supposed to go near lepers in those days, much less touch them. And the gospel accounts say over and over again, he touched the leper. He touched him. You could get infected. Your skin would be terribly disfigured. You would begin to, uh, to, to rot. Your skin would rot. You would be, you would be so infectious and so, and so, so hated. That, that they had, uh, they had leprosariums. They had people, those people were the outcast of society. God loved them. When he came to the earth, he made a point of loving them. He made a point of loving the woman with the issue of blood for all those years. He made a point of loving the people that were disfigured, the guy, the guy with the shriveled hand in the, in the synagogue, you know, the, the things that aren't pretty to us to look at. The things that we would say, ugh, you know, wow, that, that poor wretch. Those were the people that God made a point when he visited the earth of saying, this person has value for me. So this is what I want. I want God to teach me about that. He took me through prison ministry. I looked at men who had committed murder and rape and armed robbery. God put me in with them so that I would realize I was no better than them. And, I, and, and he gave me a love for them. And incredible things happened. One man, uh, when he got out, his, his wife bore him a son, and they named the son after me. I was so humbled. I also spent years ministering to children. This is not legal in Israel, but in America, you can do something called a Bible club. And so <clears throat> you can teach the Bible to children, you know, as long as their, their parents don't mind. And, um, and I, I, I learned to love children because Yeshua in me looked at these children. Many of them were, were dirty. They were in, in villages uh, high in the mountains of, of New Mexico. Uh, Hispanic children, uh, Pueblo Indian children, and, and, just, and just to see them with his eyes. So this is, this is part of, of this call of love. And then I'll, I'll conclude with this, that Yeshua spoke of the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So we know that, I mean, I could, I could spend hours going through the Bible talking about uh, the, the love of God for Israel. Let's just take the, the, book, of, of, uh, the book of Hosea, and I'll, and I'll finish with this because we just, we just crested over our time. But in the book of uh, Hosea, uh, chapter 3, the Lord said to me, go again, love a woman who is loved by a lover. In other words, she was, she was a harlot. She was a prostitute, his wife. 
the one that God told Hosea, the prophet, to marry a prostitute. I mean, it's like, God, what are, what is your, what is your deal? Like, how, what's your, what's your system? What's your, what's your approach? Like, you are weird. Slicha, excuse me. Go take yourself a wife of harlotry and children of harlotry, for the land has committed great harlotry by departing from the Lord. That's, that's chapter 1, verse 2. This is a prophet. Come on. It's a holy man. So he does it. He obeys. I mean, you know, it's, <clears throat> I never thought of this parallel. It's like similar to God telling Abraham, you know, to slit the throat of his son Isaac. It's like, what? Marry a harlot? God, I'm a, I'm a holy man. You said in, in, in Leviticus 19, you shall be holy for I, the Lord your God. I'm, that, that's not holy. That's not a holy thing. I'm not supposed to do that. Okay. I don't get it. Doesn't sound like you, but you can't let me escape. Same thing as Abraham. He says, just like the love of the Lord for the children of Israel. I didn't even remember the specific words in this passage when I thought of reading it. Who look to other gods and love the raisin cakes of the pagans. So I bought her for myself. <laughs> what? On the open market, you came as if you were a man that was paying for a prostitute. You paid for your wife that was already your wife? Inconceivable. Inconceivable. Sorry. <clears throat> for 15 shekels of silver, one and a half omers of omers of barley. And I said to her, you shall stay with me many days and not play the harlot, nor shall you have a man. So too I will be toward you. Just like the love of the Lord for the children of Israel. Throughout our unfaithfulness as a people, again and again and again and again, God, God declares.